Chapter Thirteen of Outlaws of Ravenhurst by Sister Emma Melda Wallace, S.L. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Guardians of the King. The struggle was over. The children were alone. Trembling, they crept from their hiding place, sobbing, clinging to one another in their fear. The terror of the battle was still upon them. The horror of the sacrilege before their eyes. We must not leave the altar so, whispered Stephen, stepping forward. No, Stephen, no, James drew him back. We daren't. It is only for priests to touch holy things. But there isn't any priest here now, for our Walter was the only one we ever saw. There must be one somewhere. I'll go. I'll never stop till I find a priest. The fear is taking your wits, Jamie. Can you go miles and minutes? We must do something now. Let me be. Stop holding me back. It's you that have lost your wits. We must not, Stephen. You know it is a sin to touch holy things. At times like this we can, when there isn't any priest. No, Stephen, not at any time. Don't pull away. It'll be a sin on you, Stephen. But, Jamie, Friar Walter said so. He said so? Yes, he said so. I heard him, I tell you, and Sir Angus said it, too. Well, if you have father's word for it. The two boys took a step forward. Don't go, whined Roger. Aren't you afraid to pass those? He pointed to the dead. Stay where you are, blazed James. Stay where you are. Margaret will take care of you. Roger followed for a step or two. He was afraid to go, and afraid to stay. The other two had picked their way over the dead, and now knelt before the fireplace. "'Oh, Stephen!' cried Jamie again. "'Do you know that you are sure, that you heard him right?' "'But I did hear him right. "'Well, what did he say for us to do?' "'Oh, that's what I don't know. "'We must do whatever should be done, but I don't know what should be done.' Stephen looked with trembling reverence on the sacred host lying there so white and still. Oh, Lord, he prayed, don't you see how it is? We don't know what we ought to do, and we must do something. We cannot leave you like this. Please forgive us if we make mistakes, and forgive us our sins, so that we shall not be too bad to touch your sacred body in most precious blood. From that moment both boys lost their fear, and knew that the good Lord would reward with his eternal gratitude whatever poor, little, clumsy service they might render him, now lying as if helpless, as if needing their care. Stephen took a clean finger towel and raised the chalice with it. Then he cut out from the altar cloth the linen stained by the precious blood, and laid it gently in the chalice. With a little linen, James absorbed the pulp upon the hearth. He passed the cloth to Stephen, who placed it in the chalice. Then he lifted the paten, slipped it under the sacred host, and placed it over the chalice, covering all with the corporal and a piece of linen cut from the altar cloth. James laid a piece of clean linen upon the hearthstone and over it a shield. That was the only thing at hand. The lads turned from the altar. The dead lay all about them in the cold, gray light of the dawn. We must get these bodies out of here whispered Stephen. Things ought to be tidy. This room is the same as a church now. 
the bodies lay as they had fallen about the old earl's feet a tumbled ghastly pile with a great trooper's face upward on top the look on his brutal mouth made them shiver and turn their eyes away there was another face just below it was peaceful almost beautiful that is captain brent whispered james i wonder whether god forgave him oh surely he was sorry right away and he died defending the blessed sacrament maybe he's looking at us from heaven this minute but that other one is he suffering for his sin right now didn't get much by sinning did he thought he'd have a lot of money and instead got a slash from the lang sword say we shouldn't be talking we're forgetting this is a church in here what's that nothing but a board creaking there it is again on the stair it's a step maybe it's bertrand he said he'd come back for the chalice there it is again quick how do you open that place back of the fireplace that won't do bertrand knows the hiding place better than we do here hand it to me wrap the linen tightly the soot will get in stephen had stepped into the fireplace and was clambering up the chimney on the rough stones james passed the chalice to him then ran back to where roger and margaret were standing they crawled into their old hiding place under the bed and huddled close their eyes fixed on the door a board creaked in the hall the children scarcely breathed the door swung open silently bertrand crept in gone he snarled gone as i am a living man no wonder they were for leaving it for luck came after it themselves no they couldn't have beaten me they had to take the old fool down to the dungeon there must have been someone left in the house he slipped back into the hall under the bed the tense little muscles relaxed a moment but the next instant bertrand was gliding back through the door he seemed intent on beginning his search with the secret places of the great fireplace oh let me get behind you whimpered roger you are bigger he tried to call over margaret but his foot slipped there was a scraping sound what's that bertrand was beside the bed in a moment he caught james by the foot and drew him out where is that chalice he snarled don't deny that you know i'm not denying it where is it then do you think i'm going to tell you bertrand gave him a cuff might as well argue with a mule there's no time to lose who else is underneath he stooped down to look margaret not much better stubborn piece of baggage roger come out here you bertrand reached in and caught the little coward by his long curls ouch ow he squalled but the man drew him along without mercy where did you put that chalice i didn't touch it i i i didn't do anything ouch oh don't i say i didn't i even told them not to who oh see began roger you dare say a word you little coward is there no drop of gordon blood in you were you changed in the cradle for a swine driver's child a traitor's no brother of mine blazed james let the baby alone bertrand he had nothing to do with it if you want to take spite out on any one take it out on me i'll give you enough before i go enough to spare you mulehead 
Bertrand gave Roger's curls a savage twist. Answer me, booby. Who took the chalice? Oh, please let me go, wailed the child, looking from Bertrand to his brother and back again. The poor little weakling did not know whom he feared more. Oh, don't. You hurt so. Where is it? They'll tell mother on me if I do say who. Your mother is in prison. Small harm or help can she be to you. Oh, please stop, Bertrand. I'll give you fine things when I grow up if you do. The servant laughed derisively. Fine gifts of a young laird landless, he mocked, still twisting the child's hair with savage cruelty. It was too much. Pain had triumphed. Oh, don't. Steve, Stephen, he, he's up the chimney with it. Bertrand dropped the sobbing boy and ran over to the fireplace. He looked up into the black hole. A foot scraped, a cloud of soot fell. He sprang back in time to miss it. So that's your game, my lad. Suit works two ways, boy. Better come down before the fire is lit. No answer from Stephen save another gift of soot. There's kindling in the hall. Get it, Roger. The sobbing boy turned to obey. You just dare, yelled James, springing at him. But Bertrand caught the elder boy by the collar. Do as I bid you, Roger. I'll attend to this meddling brother of yours and settle him. Then he rained kicks and cuffs on James until Roger returned with the wood. Take that for the stubborn mule that you are and always will be. Bertrand snarled, striking a blow that sent the boy spinning across the room. James struck his head against the stone wall, but he was on his feet in a moment. Come on, Margaret, he called. We've got to keep him from starting that fire. It'll kill Stephen. He'll never give up. Blood was streaming from the boy's temple, but the pain only roused his spirit to madness. The two children sprang upon Bertrand. James caught him by one hand and Margaret by the other. The boy made a battering ram of his head while he kicked with all his might. It was little so small a girl could do. Her teeth were sharp and she used them. Between the two they held the servant for a time. If Roger had helped, they might have overcome him. But he was no help at all. Roger, cried Bertrand with a foul oath, light that fire. If you do, yelled Jamie. The poor weakling stood sobbing. The fighting midgets seemed to be holding the man. So Roger obeyed his brother, though he grew white at Bertrand's muttered threats. The strength of the children began to fail. Bertrand caught Margaret's hand. Then he caught Jamie's. He tied the wrists together with a cord, wrapped many times around, and swung them up over the high carven back of the bed. There they hung on agonizing muscles, for the little girl's feet could not touch the cushions, and the boy was dangling down the smooth back. James made matters worse for his small comrade without realizing the fact. Being much the heavier, he had dragged her wrist over to his side of the top, and the weight was on her tender flesh. Roger fared little better than they. Bertrand now beat him for failing to obey him. Then they lit the fire. Oh, pray, Margie, pray, sobbed Jamie. Stephen will die. He'll never give up. Oh, he'll die. There was a scraping in the chimney. Poor Stephen was trying to climb from the flames. Get a little water, Roger, sneered the brute. Smoke will reach him anywhere. 
the scraping within the chimney seemed still in the same place and bertrand laughed put the water down we do not need it yet he cannot climb let him stick there and roast a while again a frantic scratching in another place and higher up then silence in the chimney he is out of reach of the fire said bertrand pass the water pail to me roger that's a good boy we'll give him a smoking bertrand dashed water on the fire smoke rose in a white cloud no more sound came from the chimney suddenly roger screamed the trooper on top of the dark pile slain was moving there was no doubting it broad daylight had come now he was slowly rising he could not be living no man alive ever has such a gash across the throat but moving he was his head rolled this way and that his arms rose and fell again bertrand's face whitened with terror the trooper raised his head till the staring eyes were full upon him then the head nodded and dropped back bertrand waited for no more the children heard his swift steps echoing through the vacant halls below then silence james was the first to come to his senses it's not the trooper at all it's muckle john down underneath moving him come out and cut us down aren't you hurt i cannot get oot replied the young sailor i cannot lift the body then with a bit of a chuckle but i lifted him so as to give the laugh to yon bertrand here roger help us down called james you won't hurt me promise you won't no you booby i wouldn't dirty my hands by touching you hurry you poor little sneak stephen can't get out of the chimney and you know it maybe the smoke has killed him roger freed his brother and margaret as swiftly as possible probably hoping to curry favor and save later trouble james sprang toward the fireplace as soon as his feet touched the floor margaret you roll the trooper off john can you i'll help stephen he called over his shoulder as he raked the smoking embers from the hearth out on the stone floor throw water on them roger you can do that much maybe hurry the smoke is mean laying a shield upon the hot hearth james stepped into the fireplace slip down stephen i'll catch you he called there was no answer james looked up into the black hole give me a stole he called stephen must have fainted be careful don't set your dress afire thank you margaret there hold it steady james had climbed on the stool and was standing with his head in the chimney trying to loosen stephen's body catch him margaret he's slipping easy the chalice be careful i have it steady hold stephen there you have him take him out on the floor can you that's it roger help will you lift him past the coals roger and margaret managed to lift stephen over the smoking embers while james was climbing from the stool holding the chalice reverently the cloth was still in place not a speck had touched the sacred trust stephen had guarded his lord at a bitter cost to himself he lay where his sister had placed him his eyes nose and mouth filled with soot the young gentleman's done for my lord groaned muckle john dragging himself up on one elbow he'd be choking or gasping if there was a breath o life in him no no cried james drowned folk are limp like that when they're not dead yet 
You fishermen work their shoulders some way. Tell me how. Turn and face Dune. Na, na. Do not let his face bang the floor. If I could but help ye, we... John strove to drag himself up and fell back among the dead. I am near done for my own cell. Hold him up a bit. Work his shoulders. Na, na. More roundabout-like. They be no pump handles. Ah, if I could get the lead out of me and help ye a wee. You're doing better, but no right yet. James worked desperately. Still there was no sign of life. Margaret had her brother's burned feet in her lap, sobbing over them, trying to loosen the stockings without breaking the blisters. If he would only cough or something, wailed James, weary with his struggle, or if I had sense to do what you tell me, Muckle John. Suddenly, dropping his friend, the boy turned toward the altar. Oh, Lord, he cried, Stephen was hurt taking care of you. John can't do anything. We haven't mother or nurse or anybody. Won't you help us? The trustful prayer of a child is an arrow that pierces the heart of God. Stephen moaned faintly and twisted. Then came a sudden coughing, which seemed to tear his little lungs asunder, and he spat out quantities of soot. For an hour or more he lay in his friend's arms, racked by the maddening cough and faint from exhaustion. His eyes were dazed, but slowly they cleared, and he staggered up, saying, Who put that dirty rag over the blessed sacrament? He stumbled over to the altar. Oh, yes, the soot from the chimney. He lifted the cloth reverently, and taking the cleanest bit of linen left, laid it over the chalice. Excitement seemed to have made the child unconscious of his burns, but now that the sacred trust was safe, his face grew sick with pain, and he sat down on the floor, rocking himself back and forth in his misery. Suddenly, Muckle John raised his head and whispered, What be that? I heard it twice afore, a step in the lower hall. Stephen staggered up on his burned feet. Not even the fear of more pain could daunt his soul. He was on the point of climbing back to his post in the chimney, but Muckle John whispered, No, so quick, my lords, tis not Bertrand's step, tis light, more like a lassie's. Sounds like nurse. James dashed into the hall, and they heard his joyous shout, Oh, Benson! The maid was in the room in a moment, a simple, homely country lass, but the angel Gabriel could scarcely have been more welcome than Benson. A babble of tongues greeted her. The tale was told in a child's jumble. But whatever of horror the sight of death and sacrilege might have made her suffer, she spoke cheerily, and her calmness quieted their fears. Poor John, I hope the cut is no so deep as you say. Never mind, we'll fix it. Bless us, what a risk, my little lady. And such a brave woman she is. Hasn't cried at all. And Stephen... Ah, oh, those burns, laddie. But it's the spirit o' a Douglas your lordship is showing. Sir Angus will be that proud o' his bairns. But you and your sister must suffer in patience. John has lost ever much blood. He is most in need. I must care for him first, dears. Benson's deaf fingers had kept pace with her words. She had found linen and torn it into bandages, and now she addressed James and Roger. Your young lordships are unhurt. Will you please bring me the salves from the buttery, a pan of water, also, warm if there be any? Then these bodies must be removed. Such things cannot lie before the blessed sacrament. By the time you are back, I'll have poor John that I dare move him. 
Well, as I'm caring for the hurt, your lordships make this room fit for him that's abiding in it. But Roger drew himself up with much dignity for so small a person. Benson, he stormed, do you forget your place? To whom are you speaking? Those are servants' duties. The honour due to your noble blood did not trouble you over much whilst you were playing servant to yon Bertrand. My lord, your mother, Lady Isabel, bade me take charge of all things during this black time, while she lies in prison, and I am to be punishing of you, Master Roger, whenever you stand in need of the same. Well, she knew the other three would no be given trouble in such a day of sorrow. They knew what is becoming, O noble blood, and their honour has no the queer quirks in it that yours has, Lord Roger Gordon. Roger was white with anger. But one glance from his irate brother made him cringe, and peace reigned under the government of Nurse Benson. At noon James leaned over the chair where Margaret was dozing. "'Come, my brave comrade-at-arms,' he said, half tenderly, half in mischief remembrance of the minutes that they had hung upon the high carven top of the bed. Together they passed down the hall. The door of the Earl's room was ajar, and they tiptoed in. It was the most beautiful place the little girl had ever seen. Benson had not left a spot anywhere. Evergreens had been brought up from the castle yard. A chalice draped in white linen stood between rows of shining candles. And there at the good God's feet were many new-blown violets smiling up at him, simple, beautiful, like the faces of loving children. Stephen was in prayer. The lines of pain were still upon his face. But over it there was the look unspeakably holy, the light of the joy that shines on those who have suffered for the Lord our God. End of chapter 13